Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Josh Rappaport will join us to discuss the cell. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, could you pick yourself out of a lineup? Sure, it's easy to identify our eyes, mouth, hair, and nose, but what about our genes? Well, in his new book, The Cell, Discovering the Microscopic World that Determines Our Health, Our Consciousness, and Our Future, Dr. Josh Z. Rappaport, Director of the Center for Advanced Microscopy and Nikon Imaging Center at the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, examines the most intricate parts of the human body, and with a simple and engaging narrative, explains how the tiny particles we're made of determines how we have our lives. And Dr. Rappaport, we're very pleased to have you today on the Grox Science Show. Well, thank you so much for asking. It's certainly our pleasure, certainly a fascinating book you've written here. Uh, the Cell, Discovering the Microscopic World that Determines Our Health, Our Consciousness, and Our Future. Why did you decide to write this book? So I'm, I'm one of those people who, I guess, has always known what they wanted to do. I've always wanted to be a scientist. I've always been fascinated by the natural world. It didn't really start out as, as cells. Um, I was interested in the oceans. I was interested in geology. I had uh, lots of varied interests. And I sort of, over time, my interests, my education, my, my research sort of focused, pun intended, down and down to cells, which is a microcosm of all nature to some extent, and tell us a lot about, about as, as Douglas Adams said, life, the universe, and everything. The answer is 42. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but the basics, though, of, of life, though, boil down to, to that of the cell. So, so um, the idea here is that uh, so I'm a microscopist, so I've spent an inordinate amount of time staring down microscopes in dark rooms, a lot more fun than it sounds, actually. And, you know, that, that rush you get when you sort of see something unfolding the first time anyone's eyes have ever, have ever witnessed something is, is really what drew me into this. And I guess trying to convey that to a general audience, really trying to express how we hear about genes causing disease and, and things like that, but, but what does that actually mean? And so to sort of strip that away, you really have to get to a sort of fundamental level of understanding, which I think is, is sort of assumed but lacking in a lot of other things. I mean, when you, you know, you watch it, you're watching TV and you see commercials for new uh, pharmaceutical agents and they say, ask your doctor about such and such. You know, I feel like where people really are in their understanding is, is, is quite far away from where they should be. And so I've tried to sort of start from fundamental principles and go a little bit historical. And obviously my own uh, take on things is as a microscopist, but I think the book really covers a lot. Um, and I've had the good fortune of, of being able to do research in a variety of areas and be able to to, to learn and teach in a variety of areas. So, so we, you know, the book talks about molecular biology, the book talks about genetics, the book talks about stem cells, 
um, a lot of things that really, when you get down to it, though, it's the cells um, in your body that make the, you know, the, 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 the dichotomy between the, you know, the healthy and the disease or the physiological and the pathological. I'm sure a lot of people, of course, uh, know roughly what a cell is, but uh, maybe you can give us uh, the bio 101 explanation of what makes a cell a cell. Sure. So basically, a cell is the, the fundamental subunit of life. In the same way an atom would be the fundamental subunit of matter, cells are the smallest things that can be really said to be alive. So there are, there are many single-celled organisms all around us. We obviously are multicellular, but even within ourselves, it is the individual cells that are, are, are actually doing the work. So, you know, you have muscle cells, you have specialized cells, uh, neurons, such as this. So our tissues are made up of collective groups of different types of specialized cells, and a, a red blood cell is, is, is different than a skin cell, for example. So each of these different cells, then they have special adaptations then that allow them to do their job? Basically, what, what ends up happening is you see a lot of diagrams or explanations of, quote-unquote, the cell, and there is really no the cell. So there are, in the same way, sort of, that all of our genes are the same, really, from cell to cell. So when you have your genome, which is specific to an individual, there are fundamental structural and functional aspects that all cells have in common. But then it's really what makes one cell different from another is which genes are expressed and what versions of those genes are expressed and at what levels those genes are expressed and then how all those pieces come together. So it's a bit like a Lego set, or at least I'm aging myself now because I know that Lego sets now come with a specific goal in mind picture of the, the TIE fighter on the box, but it used to be that you just get a big box of Legos and you could make whatever you want out of them. So it's a little bit like that. What do you think is it that most people should know about a cell and the basics of how it relates really to, to their daily life? Sure. Just for... I think the, the key starting point is really, it's actually one of the most elegant phrases in, in all of science, which is what we call the central dogma of molecular biology. So I'm going to talk a little bit about molecules now, not just cells, but obviously cells are just made of molecules. So the central dogma of molecular biology is that DNA, which is what's, what, what, our, what our genes are made out of, right, gets transcribed into RNA, which is a sort of intermediate, which then gets translated into protein. And you hear the word protein a lot. I mean, you know, you, a lot of people want to eat more protein or whatever, but what is protein? Protein are the actual functional building blocks. These are the the enzymes, the structural components, the ion channels, these are all made out of proteins. So what basically happens is your genes get transcribed to RNA and those, those RNA molecules get then translated into the different proteins. And so there's this correspondence that goes from you know, genes to proteins. So basically, if you're going to think about what cells really are, is they're different arrangements of different proteins. Now, there are also other molecules. Obviously, we've also we've talked about DNA and RNA. There are sugars, carbohydrates, which are basically, you know, structure, large structures made out of sugars. Um, sugars are subunits of carbohydrate, polymers, starches. And then, you know, you've got lipids, which are like fatty molecules. And these different molecules form different kinds of structures. And so you've got the nucleus, which is the, the sort of center of the cell, which is where the DNA, where the genes live. And then 
those genes get transcribed into RNA in the nucleus, and then those RNAs exit the nucleus, and then those get translated into proteins at a structure called the ribosome, and then those proteins can now go off and do all their things. Um, and in the same way that our body has organs, the cell has what are called organelles. The nucleus would be an example of an organelle, but there are other organelles as well that perform specific kinds of functions. For example, mitochondria or organelles that are involved in generating energy. So, you know, we eat food, and how does that food actually become energy? Well, the answer is certain chemical reactions that are occurring within mitochondria. And there are many other organelles as well that do lots of different jobs. So whether it's a cell from, you know, your skin or from your muscle, they're going to basically have these same kinds of organelles, same kinds of processes going on within them. But not only that, if, if it's a cell from, you know, an amoeba to an octopus that's going to, you know, still boil down to, to even, you know, things like yeast are going to boil down to having these very same structural and functional components. So really the, the proper functioning of the, of the cell requires all of these organelles working properly and all the proteins that are being produced in correct manner. And if anything goes wrong, then do you have problems with the cell and disease, right? That's exactly right. And, and, and many diseases are caused by uh, mutations in the genes that then affect the structure or the function of the proteins that are, are supposed to be made. Sometimes this will be a protein that will go to the right place at the right time, but it won't function properly. And sometimes no protein will be made from the gene. That'll be really functional at all. And sometimes the protein might be functional, but it might get targeted to the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and so those are sort of different causes of genetic disease. And then, of course, you got other kinds of disease um, which, which can form because of, say, example, uh, you know, in, infectious diseases and other things as well. But a lot of it will boil down to problems with a cell's structures and function, regardless of the cause. Particular disease that think weighs on people's minds, but the, again, they probably don't have a good understanding unless they have uh, an understanding of how the cell's working and what's actually going wrong with the cell. Sure. Well, I think I think what what I would say is that there are obviously we've already talked about uh, genetic diseases versus infectious diseases. There are different sort of classifications. Even in genetic disease, there are different classifications. So you know there are diseases that are caused um, sort of familial diseases that can be passed down and are caused by one mutation in one gene that affects the structure or function or location of one specific protein. So, for example, cystic fibrosis. Cystic fibrosis is a congenital uh, disease that primarily is affecting people in their lung, their ability to breathe, um, and this is caused generally by individual mutations in, in generally one specific protein, which is called CFTR. Um, and that would be the example of, of something like a what we call a monogenic disease. Then you've got on the other end, you've got um, you know things like um, you know cardiovascular disease, things where there are genetic components, and maybe there are sort of rare um, familial causes. But usually, what it is, it's it's a it's a it's a complex combination of of subtle genetic predispositions combined usually with um, environmental or behavioral um, issues as well. Um, so, you know, for example, with this um, CFTR, it is involved in regulating salt transport in your lung. It affects the viscosity of the fluid inside your lung. It makes it hard to breathe. Um, and this, this CFTR protein is, is, is actually uh, functions to properly regulate 
how chloride, which is obviously part of salt, sodium chloride, goes from, from, goes from one place in the body to another. Um, and in fact, uh, a really low-tech test to see if, 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 if somebody who has problems with lung function that could be cystic fibrosis has cystic fibrosis, is their sweat is extremely salty because the salt isn't being transferred properly. And so if you taste their sweat, and I'm not suggesting anyone does this, it'll be very, very salty. Um, so, you know, that's how uh, a, a very, very precise, it could be, you know, one piece of one gene can have a mutation and it can lead to debilitating disease and issues throughout the body. So those are the sort of uh, intrinsic derived diseases. What about uh, those diseases that come from outside, those pathogenic well, organs, and how? Exactly. So, 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 well, there are, I would say, you know, we can talk about diseases from outside from, from pathogenic organisms. We can also talk about diseases from outside, um, you know, that can involve behavior. For example, you know, diabetes is a disease that you hear a lot about. In fact, the diabetes that you hear about is, is actually technically called diabetes mellitus, um, and because diabetes is, is basically um, has to do with just um, having too much urine. Diabetes is Greek for like to siphon or move water. And so uh, diabetes in general is just, a, and there are other kinds of diabetes besides diabetes mellitus, diabetes mellitus. So mellitus means sweet. So diabetes mellitus sort of means like sweet urine. And I'm not suggesting that there's a, there's a, a test like the cystic fibrosis test uh, for diabetes, um, but Basically, that's going to be one of these things where there's going to be a combination between um, genetic predisposition and behavior as we're learning more and more about um, with infectious disease. So basically, uh, there are uh, different types of infectious disease which are caused by different types of organisms. So there are infectious diseases that are caused by viruses. There are infectious diseases that are caused by bacteria. There are infectious diseases that are caused by fungus, for example, something like athlete's foot. Um, you know, and, and we hear a lot about viruses. Um, you know, I talk in the book a little bit, a little bit about HIV. Um, and, um, I think, you know, everyone knows a little bit something about about HIV. Um, and actually the thing that's particularly amazing and terrifying about, about HIV and AIDS is that it's actually, it's not, um, something directly that the virus is doing that usually is what people get get you know um, kill people ultimately and luckily now we have lots of um drug cocktails that are ex ex extending the life of people who have uh, hiv infection um but uh generally what happens is that hiv actually affects your immune system so that you might get some other disease for example influenza that could end up being what kill you because your immune system uh, doesn't work so again this is a disease that's um focusing on a cell so there's a specific kind of immune cell, um, which is called a CD4 positive um, helper T cell. And the HIV virus can infect the CD4 T cell and your CD4 numbers will go down and that will, um, that will affect your ability to fight off infection. Um, but one of the things I go into the book, go into in the book is that, you know, even something like HIV, which has been studied um, and has been, you know, really, it's really an excellent example of how, how lots of people working together have really led very rapidly to developments that have really saved people's lives, um, is that, in fact, if you look very carefully at the literature, there is some potential confusion, actually, for how the HIV virus actually gets inside of our cells. 
I mean, it's fascinating. It's something I've worked on a tiny little bit in my own research, but it's something that I've sort of kept up with, which is that there are different ways that a virus can get inside of a cell. And it's not entirely clear to us how actually HIV is doing this job, uh, which is obviously the first thing that would have to do, uh, first thing that have, have to happen for an infection to occur. So there's still a lot more for us to understand. And it's an example of even if, you know, you can have a sort of applied research program that can can, can lead to real changes um, in, in, in human health for the better, there might be fundamental aspects of, of a process that, that we don't really understand. So how do you think people then can take a particular knowledge of the cell then and make better decisions about their own health? I've, I've done quite a bit of teaching at a lot of levels. I've taught you know, from high school students to, to PhD students. And, and I think a lot of the times, it's not really the, the facts and the figures and the specifics. I don't expect that, you know, somebody that I taught when they were 17 years old about some specific concept is going to, you know, get a, you know, memorize that and remember it necessarily. It's more of about a way of thinking. And I think that's really what one of the key things I'm trying to convey, which is a way of sort of critically thinking and not just blindly accepting um, uh, conclusions without looking at the evidence. And I mean, this is something that is it's we're it's we're surrounded by it all the time. Um, you know, you you'll you'll read articles that will say, I mean, you know, don't 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 eat, um, you know, meat, eat more meat, you know, this kind of a thing. It's you have to actually look at the evidence and you have to actually ask, you know, who did this research? You know, did they have a, a an ulterior motive? Did they have an axe to grind? And it's very hard, I think, for people to assess that on their own, but being able to at least recognize bona fides and, and good science from bad science, real science from fake science. And if something has a huge headline and it doesn't refer to something that was published in a, in a proper peer-reviewed journal, then it's probably not something that you want to let affect decisions that you're making. And I think it's a particularly challenging time in lots of ways because, uh, as you said, you know, there's so many resources out there, and, and some of them just really aren't super reliable. So I think my own perspective is, is at least know that you're getting your information from a, a, a trustworthy source and dig deeper. You know, when you have to make important decisions, when it's about your, your health and well-being, then you should, uh, you know, it's like getting a second opinion. You should be able to peel it back and, and look at a level deeper. And that's not always easy. You know, one of the things I have in the book is, um, in the back of the book, is, is I have lots of, of places to go for further information. And some of that is the scientific literature. Usually those are going to be what we call review articles rather than the primary, an individual research paper that's really digging into one specific facet of one specific question. Those would be sort of summaries that, that are published to summarize entire areas. But, you know, I also reference a lot of, of, of articles from the popular press as well um, that really get it right. So if you read something in the book and you're interested, flip to the back and then you'll see where to get more information about it. Uh, we are running slightly out of time. I'm just curious maybe to close in a lighter note. Uh, do you have a favorite type of cell? Well, my wife is a neuroscientist, so I should probably say something from the brain. I don't know. I They're also fascinating in their own sort of way. I've always, so they're not a very sexy sort of cell, but so epithelial cells are the kinds of cells that form barriers from one place to another. And there are specific, 
it doesn't necessarily have to be from a one tissue or another, but there are lots of tissues in the, in, in the kidney, in the lung, in various other places where you have a specific kind of epithelial cell that they connect to each other and they form a single cell thick layer where on, on one side is very different environment than is on the other side. And I find those incredibly amazing because it's a single cell thick layer, 10, 15, 20 micrometers thick, and yet it's performing this barrier function. A lot of my background before I got into cell biology was physiology. So seeing these physiological differences just caused by one cell layer thick is just absolutely amazing to me. Well, uh, the new book is called The Cell, Discovering the Microscopic World that Determines Our Health, Our Consciousness, and Our Future. And the author is Dr. Joshua Z. Rappaport. And uh, Dr. Rappaport, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Well, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.